Almost. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the fourth Monday of the month, which means it's time for Goodbye Lupus with Dr. Brooke Goldner. And today she is going to be discussing Lupus Awareness Month. Please welcome her back to the show. Nice to see you again. You've been doing a lot. I see you were on the news. Was that a local station? Yes, yeah. So I, it's been really nice that all the different local stations, if there's a hot topic, they tend to call me to comment. So that's been nice. Yeah. So uh, now we have Lupus Awareness Month is coming up next week in May. So of course, there's a lot more attention than on this disease. But first, I wanted to say happy anniversary. It was your anniversary, what, like April 9th or something? I remember yeah, seeing April it on- 9th. Uh, I don't even know how many years. After 25, you kind of stopped counting. But you know, we decided to just make it a meetup and you wouldn't believe how many people came. It was wonderful. Do you I'm have a sorry. lot of vegan restaurants where you live? Houston, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there is an enormous amount. And it was actually kind of surprising to me because- Listen, growing up as a as a New Yorker, uh, I kind of thought the whole South was the same. And I didn't think there would be especially nothing vegan in Texas because, you know, the meat industry is, you know, cows. Right. So when we first moved out here, we were in Austin, which was supposed to be at the time PETA said it was the most vegan friendly city. But there's really not that much going on for vegan food there, at least not when we were living there. But Houston is, one, you know, one of the largest cities in the country. And there's a lot now, not necessarily a healthy vegan, but vegan. Yes, absolutely. I mean, everywhere. I mean, there's a, there's a, in Chinatown, there's a vegan Chinese buffet, a huge buffet, all vegan. Now it's coated in oil. So not everybody who wants to eat healthy be there, but uh, definitely it's way friendlier than I thought. So yeah, absolutely. There's a lot you could do here. Um, you salad places, you know. Have yeah. you ever hung out or do you know Dr. Baxter Montgomery in Houston? Because he has a raw restaurant in his clinic, in his medical I clinic. I ate there years ago before we lived here and we were driving through. I ate there, uh, but I've actually never met him, which is so sad because, you know, I live out here, but I spend most of the time in this chair that I'm in right now. Um, you probably know what it's like. <laughs> so, so I don't really, I, I don't really get out much. And Houston is enormous. Um, I think it's the third largest city in the country right now. So even for me to go into Houston where he is, probably be about an hour. You know, uh, so it's it's a, it's a huge place. It's sprawling. I mean, driving through Texas uh, takes longer than driving through like four states in the Northeast. <laughs> oh, my good. Well, if you ever want me to introduce you, he's really a wonderful guy. I would love to. Yeah, we probably have a lot in common. But yeah, he, he's a very high raw guy. And, you know, he he's like trained as a raw chef. And he, I, I'm sure you guys would hit it off. That is super cool. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So lupus, right? I have a little bit of history with this. So I thought it'd be kind of cool. We've been talking about so many different things, but May is Lupus Awareness Month and it's creeping up on us next week. And since I'm the fourth Monday, I figure by the time I talked about it next month, it would be over. So we're going to get a preview and I, I, I'm as purple as I can be. Lupus Awareness Month is purple. I got purple shirt. I don't know if you can see I purple eyeshadow. I was like, got up this morning. Like we're going all lupus awareness. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's a really important thing. I mean, when I was diagnosed with lupus, it's exactly 30 years ago. So it was 30 years ago in the summer, uh, I was first diagnosed with lupus. And at the time it's still, I keep, I keep getting goosebumps because it was 30 years ago that a doctor first told me I had six months to live. And here I am, I'm, I'm officially middle-aged. I looked it up 
46 is middle-aged, you know, and it's like, nobody predicted I would get here, you know, get this far, this old and not be disabled. Of course, nobody could predict that I'd actually be healthy. But yeah, 30 years ago, I was diagnosed. And at the time I was diagnosed, I was 16 and people hadn't really heard of it too much. It wasn't a thing you heard about lupus. Uh, I, I remember I, you know, they were asking, do we have any family members with it? My mom said the only person she ever heard of was someone who married into the family. Uh, and she had died from lupus, but it's just nobody knew anything about it. Um, my doctor said I was young to have it. It was rare. And nowadays, it's not so rare. I mean, 30 years later, you skip and you hear about it all the time. I mean, you hear about it in all these celebrities. Um, you hear about it on the news. I mean, right now, it's in the top 20 causes of death for women in general but it's in the top five causes of death for women of color. So, I mean, it's a really important topic and, uh, and it's one that I think needs more and more uh, attention. And of course, since it's me, I want attention to not only what it is and, and, and the symptoms and all of that, but also what you can do about it. Because as I'm an example of, it doesn't have to take you out. It can, I mean, I almost died from it many times um, and yet I'm sitting here healthy. And so for me, Lupus Awareness Month is not just about, you know, awareness of the disease, but really about awareness of the power we can have over fighting the disease. So I thought that's what we could chat about. Well, that is great. I'm just curious, have you ever been in touch with the doctor that diagnosed you over 30 years ago? Yes, yes, absolutely. So I had the best team of doctors and it's one of the reasons why I became one was they saved me, you know, when others might not have. Um, my primary care doctor, uh, Dr. Patton, Dr. Carla Patton. Uh, so she's out, this was in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. Um, she was the one who first diagnosed me. And um, my, my mom saw her last because I moved away with medical school and then with my residency, but my mom still saw her for years later. And so she was very excited about what I'd done uh, about, let me think about it now. I was still in Austin at the time. So it was, oh goodness, goodness, probably about six, seven years ago. My rheumatologist, Dr. Franklin, uh, emailed me to tell me that he read my book and he was just in tears because he was so happy that I was healthy. The most interesting one actually was, uh, so Dr. Scott Levy, he was my nephrologist. He is now the medical director of the hospital in Dolestown Hospital. Fantastic doctor. Uh, he was my nephrologist. He was the one that said that my kidneys were failing so quickly. He gave me six months unless they could do something experimental, which nobody wants to hear from their doctor that we got to do something experimental or you can die. He said, your best hope is dialysis if you make it. Uh, so he's, he's from New York originally too. And you know, one thing about us New Yorkers is we're straight shooters. Uh, so it might sound brutal, but sometimes in that moment of shock, you kind of need someone to say, here, this is what you have. This is what's going to happen. You got to take action. So at the time we didn't have all the, all the medicines that they use now, uh, the Plaquenil, Celsep. There's so many different medicines that they use now, although I can't say that the quality of life is any better. Um, but uh, right back then, it was mostly just taking prednisone steroids. They said it wasn't going to be enough to save my kidneys. So that's how I ended up on experimental chemotherapy. Uh, he, he, he pitched me like, let's see what happens in a year. And for those who, who don't know about using chemotherapy for lupus and autoimmune, the reason that they started doing that and the reason why I got to be tested on for that is because chemotherapy suppresses your immune system. So your immune system, normally its job is to, you know, keep you safe. 
So if there's a bacteria, a virus, an injury, you send out the inflammatory immune system to go and fix it, kill what it needs to kill, and then bring you back to healthy again, right? But with lupus and other autoimmune diseases, your immune system actually stops being able to recognize self versus non-self, and it can attack your own tissues. And lupus is extremely dangerous because it can attack any tissue in the body. So different autoimmune diseases, different tissues are involved, right? So if you have Sjogren's, it's your, your glands and moisture. If you have MS, it's your nervous system, um, you know, people's uh, spinal and, and brain, uh, you can see lesions there and affect their mobility, right? And RA, mostly joints, although they get brain fog and other things, but lupus, it's anything. It can attack your brain and your nervous system. It can attack your heart. It can attack your lungs. It can attack your kidneys, your skin. It really can go anywhere in the body. And so it's a very scary illness to have because once it's in one spot, it can, it can move on. And, and that's what happened to me. It started out as rashes and then it went to arthritis. Although I, I think the migraines really were the start a couple of years before, but rashes, arthritis, and then kidney failure. And even once they saved my kidneys, years later, I started getting mini strokes because of blood clots going to my brain. So it's one of those diseases that even when you are treated, you're really just trying to stay ahead of it or, or to keep yourself from dying chronically as it still continues to spread. So to answer your question about my doctor, so this nephrologist saved me with the chemotherapy and he was a great, he is a great guy. He's alive. Um, and, but it was kind of funny because the one thing that he won't give in on is the power of nutrition. And at the time that I got sick, my parents owned the local pizza places. And so my mom used to, whenever I went to a doctor's appointment, my mom would bring them like a gift certificate for pizza as a thank you for taking care of me. And when I got chemo, she would bring free pizza to all the people getting chemo, um, you know, which it was always appreciated. <laughs> Cheese is carcinogenic. A lot of those people had cancer, but we didn't know she was really, my mom's great. Right. So I think my nephrologist, you know, he, he used to tell us that uh, when it comes to food, pizza is the perfect food because it has all the food groups. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it just shows the most brilliant doctors are still not trained in nutrition. So I don't fault him for that at all. I mean, like I said, he saved my life. He had an idea of using experimental treatment. I took two years of chemo and the prednisone and everything, but it worked. You know, my kidneys came back online. I still had some decrease in function that you could see on a lab test where I had protein loss in my urine. And he said that would be forever. That's from the damage that the, that the uh, lupus caused, but I didn't go on dialysis and I went into a remission. So I'm not dissing him in any way. He was amazing. But when I did see him again, it was um, back now, I think, so Alex was, I think about two or three years old. So, uh, blah, 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 like seven years ago or so we went back to Pennsylvania and I stopped by the hospital to see him and I brought my kids. Right. So I was supposed to be dead in my teens. And one of the things they said after I was diagnosed with lupus, and this happens for other people is you can't have children, um, between the kidney failure and then later the blood clots. I was at high risk of not being able to survive pregnancy. And if I did survive pregnancy, I still could end up with a stroke. I still could end up having lots of miscarriages. And if the baby survived, the lupus can also cause heart block and neonatal lupus in the baby. So it's just one of those things where, you know, it, it, you should never do that. Right. And I didn't even attempt to get pregnant until I'd been completely lupus free for four years because I didn't want to die and I didn't want to have a baby that was harmed. Right. So I show up at his office. I've got two healthy, robust little boys running around. And I, when I saw him, now I'm going to get choked up. He started crying. He, he couldn't believe it. He said that he just, he had to look me up again to say, is this really the same Brooke Goldner that I took care of 
all these years ago. And he said he couldn't believe I was still alive. Um, but to see me standing there in front of him healthy with my family, he just started crying and he hugged me and we had this beautiful reunion and we talked and I told him about the goodbye lupus protocol and I told him what happened to me. And the funniest thing is as we're leaving though, he had a candy bowl in his office and my toddler was like, Oh, can I have this? And I said, no, no, we don't eat that. And he shrugged and he went, I don't know. I still think moderation is best when it comes to food. And I almost fell out the door. <laughs> out the door. I almost crashed into it. I was like, I love you, Doc, but no, no, no. So, you know, it's just one of those things where there's sometimes your brain just kind of can't take in what you're living through. So, yeah, I absolutely love my doctors. They were an amazing team. I wish other people had the doctors I did because I'm constantly meeting people whose doctors don't communicate with each other. They're not looking after them. Every time one doctor saw me, they would send a letter to the other two to tell them what they saw and what they're doing. They were just uh, an incredible team. But yeah, I've been in touch with all of them and uh, they're all extremely uh, happy and amazed at what I'm doing and, and how that I'm still here. One day, if we ever do the documentary about me, we have to interview them all so they can, they can say, yes, this was a real thing that happened. <laughs> I tried to get my old chart and... Um, uh, we haven't been able to do so because back then it was paper charts and after 10 years, they get rid of them. You know, like they have to hold on to them for 10 years for insurance purposes, uh, but we weren't in the digital age. That's how old I am. There was no digital charts when I was sick. So um, yeah, I have a couple printouts of labs here and there, but the living doctors, uh, the, my, my nephrologist was a young hotshot doctor in his thirties back then. Uh, now, now he's, you know, established and older. So yeah, it, it is, they are still around and, um, and it is a scary, scary illness, uh, right? You know, the last time they estimated, and I can't find any new data for this year, but the last time they estimated it, they said uh, about one and a half million Americans have it, about 5 million worldwide. I know it's up from that because that was in like before 2020. And, you know, the most recent research has shown over the past 40 years, that autoimmune diseases are on the rise all over the world and spreading to countries where they never had them before. And uh, the geneticists at uh, the Crick Institute in England found that there was no genetic cause, but rather that the rise and spread of autoimmune disease exactly mirrored the rise and spread of the Western diet, which I know shocks you, chef. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised that, that doctors still believe in moderation. Oh. You know, I have made so many posts about moderation because I looked it up. I looked up what moderation was. I don't know if you ever did this. So I, I, I get into words. I'm like, let's look up what moderation is. The origins of the word moderation, it meant stuff you shouldn't do, like be moderate with. So use moderation with drinking meant don't drink, be very moderate, be, avoid it. But nowadays we use the word moderation to mean, yeah, just have some of everything. Don't limit yourself. So we've actually turned the word around. So I actually believe in moderation in the old fashioned way in terms of use a lot of restraint and avoid things that can hurt you. But modern day people try to use that word to say, oh, don't use restraint. A little bit of everything won't hurt you. And no, actually not the case. Um, and that's like the biggest pushback I see sometimes when I will make very bold statements about uh, health. Listen, when people are healthy, yeah, you can have a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of meat dairy, and you'll probably be okay. But people don't come to me because they're healthy. They don't come to me for healthy. They come to me because they're literally dying. They've got lupus. Their kidneys are shutting down. They've got MS. They can't walk. They've got such bad RA, they can't move. In that case, using moderation, 
destroys their progress, takes them backwards. I've seen one bite cause kidney function to drop eight points in someone who doubled their kidney function in two weeks. One bite of a little piece of candy, a little bite-sized candy, right? So when it comes to healing, you can't use moderation or you'll just be stuck. And I'm sure you see so many people too who say like, I never get results and I'm doing what you say. And then it's like, well, how often do you cheat? Well, you know, just once or twice a week. All right, well, that's actually the reason. Once or twice a week, you undo your progress. And now you feel like you're trying so hard and not getting anywhere. So yeah, it's, uh, unfortunately, I think it's just an easy word to say. And I think it comforts the doctor, right? Because the doctors are just as addicted to food as everybody else, right? I'm sure all my doctors really enjoyed the free pizza they got <laughs> from my family. And I'm not saying it swayed them in, in, in their treatments, but you know, they're eating pizza and they're not in kidney failure. Right. And I think that also is what affects people because, you know, I always say nobody gets away with it. I mean, okay. There's a couple mutants out there. Every once in a while, you'll see a mutant who lived 105 and they drink vodka for breakfast, you know, and a, and a cheesesteak for lunch, but they're mutants. The majority of people, the number one killer of people in our country, heart disease, right? No one's getting away with it. It's just some people like me, our bodies start failing on us very young. And other folks, they wait until they get their high blood pressure and heart attack in their 50s or 60s. But everybody's getting harmed. It's just some of us have more resilient genetics and it's never immediate for most people. They don't see like I ate this burger and then got chest pain until they're too far down the road. So yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. Um, but yeah, I think when people are healthy, they don't have to be so strict. But I am very aggressive on trying to get people to be strict when they're sick. Um, one, because like I just said, every bite can harm or hurt, but two, when it comes to food addiction, one bite will keep you addicted to the junk, right? You know, I'm sure for you, I know for me, I love the taste of my fresh food, but I don't, I don't have a taste for cheese anymore, which is what I was addicted to. Sugar overwhelms me. If I have a bite of something that's too sweet, I'm like, ah, I just don't want anymore because my taste buds converted. But having a little bit of junk here and there keeps you addicted, just like a, a, someone trying to quit smoking. If they're like, oh, I'll just have one cigarette a day, they're still addicted. In fact, all day, all they can think about was that cigarette, right? So, you know, it's one of those things where I think, especially with food addiction and with severe health issues, that one bite, that bit of moderation keeps you stuck in that cycle of always feeling deprived, always feeling sick, and never overcoming it to get to that good place where you enjoy your food and your life and your health. Yeah. Well, you know, I think when we didn't have such a toxic food environment, maybe moderation was doable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, back in, you know, they didn't start putting ingredient labels on food until the 50s, because before then you went to the store and it was just what it was, you know, whether it was meat or vegetables or whatever, you just knew what it was when you looked at it. Then they started that whole processed food stuff back then, where you could get the, uh, you know, what, what were they called? The TV dinners? And I used to love those TV dinners when I was a kid, right? All that processed food. And so then they started having to label all the stuff they were putting in there and the chemicals and all that. So I, I definitely think that was a switch. And there's also become, talk about toxic food environment. Um, I think the portions of the meat and the dairy and the bacon have, have taken over in a way that they weren't even when I was young, but definitely not in the fifties and forties where it's like everything is slathered in cheese and covered in bacon. And like, it's just... Um, it's gotten out of control and, and people are, you know, they'll never say something to a person who's obese and sick eating a burger and fries. But, you know, if you're sitting down with a salad, uh, everyone wants to have a conversation. About it. So, 
were the weirdos. It's like the original non-smokers. They were the weirdos. Uh, but, you know, the weirdos that were not dying of cancer, right? So, and, you know, I just mentioned heart disease. I also want to point out that as much as lupus can affect any organ system, uh, most people with lupus die of heart attacks because they actually have much higher rates of heart attacks than other people too. So everything that I do to help people reverse their autoimmune diseases also is going to help them with, um, with making sure that they don't have heart disease as well, which is, again, one of the most common reasons why people die. But, you know, the most common thing people complain of with lupus, majority of people, is just the chronic pain. Um, it is incredibly difficult to have this arthritis that moves through your body where just doing normal things that other people never think about, like putting on your makeup or brushing your teeth or doing your hair hurts and it's exhausting. Uh, there's actually a philosophy. I don't know if you've heard of it. Have you ever heard of spoonies? No, that's a cute word, though. It is a cute word, but yeah. So what they started calling it is that people with lupus, they're spoonies, meaning that, that you have a certain number of spoons of energy for the day and every activity you choose uses one up. And so you have to start choosing wild wisely. How many spoons will it take for me to get up today, for me to brush my hair, for me to go to the store, for me to go to work and that they can only afford to do a certain amount of stuff before they're wiped for the day. And I used to live that way. I, I know very clearly what it's like, where you're like, okay, I can't go out with my friends, but if, if I stay home, I can reserve my energy and I can read my textbooks. So that's how I still graduated at the top of my class while on chemotherapy is I just read my textbooks, took less energy for that. Um, but going out with friends, other things I couldn't do. So, you know, for those spoonies that are in pain and exhausted all the time, they're literally having to decide what they have in a day, what they can do in a day by just what little bit of energy they have. And that's, it's, uh, it's one of those things now where, you know, people often comment about me if they watch an interview or something, they're always like, she speaks so quickly. She has so much energy, right? It's like, I, this is, this is something that, that I get to have now because I'm healthy, um, that I want for people. In fact, a lot of my clients, they say they know they're good when they have Dr. G energy. That's like their goal. <laughs> I got it, you know? Um, but it is, it's tough. It's a life of pain, um, fatigue. I used to call it like walking underwater some days where you're just like trying to walk somewhere and you feel like you're underwater. Um, it's also expensive. Um, most people, when they look at their expenses, they lose, lose over $50,000 a year just in their expenses for their medical costs, which is why it always floors me when someone says it's too expensive to get like, you know, an appointment or to buy healthy food. I'm like, healthy food is far less expensive than all of your medicines. And in terms of spoons, you get more, right? If you eat healthy, you feel better and you lose less time, less energy, less life. So um, people don't usually tell me it's too expensive to get, you know, streaming TV or, you know, certain things they want to invest in. Um, but when they're talking about just produce, suddenly everything feels like too much. And, you know, I've had folks who've done my program who are on welfare. They send me messages and say, I'm on welfare. I only watch your free content and I got healthy. I had a lady, Kim, she, uh, she made a video for me. That's what she did. And she just watched my free content used her welfare money and whatever she could. And she went from in a wheelchair disabled to walking around, flexing for me, show me how healthy she is. So if she could do it, we all can, but we have to prioritize. To prioritize our health. incredible. Just a nice comment. Lisa says she forgot how gorgeous Dr. Goldner is. And Sharon says, I usually get it's an all in your head diagnosis. It's a tough one that way. First of all, that annoys me. Um, I always... I always say that if you have someone sitting in your office as a physician who, you know, that 
you have to believe them about what's going on because there are so many better things to do in your time and your life than to sit in a doctor's office, first waiting for the appointment, the magazines are expired, you're, you know, the traffic you had to face, all that, and you get in there and then they're going to say, you're fine, why? All right, so that's frustrating. I, I really hate it. I always believe the person sitting in front of me. But I think the difficulty with lupus and with a lot of autoimmune diseases is that a lot of, for a lot of people, the symptoms show up way before the labs become positive, which is the other reason why we have to believe people. Um, the average person with autoimmune disease, it often takes them over five years to get a diagnosis. And during that five years, they're being told, oh, it's stress. Oh, you know, go see a shrink, you know, all those things. And yes, stress affects autoimmune disease. It's one of the triggers, um, but it's not the whole illness, right? And uh, so people can be in pain, but their blood markers still look normal. I had one woman who said 10 years, she was in pain and exhausted and told that she was fine um, before finally she got markers for lupus. And then her doctor said, oh, you have lupus. She goes, yeah, well, I've had it for 10 years. Thanks. So, you know, it, it is difficult because if your markers are negative, the doctors really have to make a decision about what to do there, right? Because the medicines that they use to treat autoimmune disease are very, very um, difficult on the body. I mean, we're talking about suppressing the immune system. You suppress the immune system. Now you're more likely to get diseases, infections, right? Uh, even cancers, right? You need your immune system, but if your immune system's killing you, okay, it makes sense to, to suppress it, right? So I mean, even when I got the chemotherapy, it saved my kidneys, but it dramatically increased my risk of cancer. Getting chemo actually increases your risk of cancer down the road. So they actually had to suppress my puberty. So at 16, I was taking hormones to suppress my puberty in addition to the chemotherapy and the steroids because they also were trying to pre protect my ovaries um, because it can cause infertility and all sorts of damage. So, you know, the risks that I had to take to survive also put me at risk for more problems down the road. But in the moment you have to live, right? So it, it was no, there was no question. Like you can die from your kidney failure now or take a risk at cancer later. Okay, well, let's roll that dice, right? Um, but if you have to use medicines like this, you don't want to just prescribe when you can't confirm because there's also, you know, if you cause harm, malpractice, right? So doctors will usually kind of, you know, they really want those labs to confirm it before they just go off the symptoms. The beauty of doing my protocol is that you can change your diet and get healthy without a diagnosis. So sometimes people will say, well, it's not official yet. They think I have lupus or I might have mixed autoimmune, which means you have, you know, some from column A, column B, and they're not sure what you have or whatever it is. Uh, do I have to wait? But no, you don't even need a diagnosis. You can just get healthy. Right. And, and, and the beauty of it also is that since my protocol is specific to cellular repair and not to just lupus or autoimmune disease, people with other issues get better too. So I've had people reverse end stage heart failure, you know, diabetes, you know, I have someone in my group right now, I have a rapid recovery group where I work with people every day and someone in my group who's there for a high blood pressure, high blood sugar, his sugar is normalized within the first few weeks. You know, usually within four weeks, people don't have diabetes. And if you're really, really healthy, you just got the genetic payload where you're just super healthy. Uh, all it does is optimize immune function, keep you resistant to infections and reverses the aging process in your organs. So it's not like, oh no, I wasn't sick enough. And now I just, you know, ruined my health by optimizing my nutrition. Um, it really is for everyone. And, uh, and, and I think that to me, that gives people so much more power 
You know, they're also like, can I use it when I'm on my meds? Well, if no, you can take your medicines as prescribed, nourish yourself, get healthy. And then when you don't need your medicines, your doctor can taper you. So it's not like a risk they have to take. Like you have to choose between nutrition and, you know, your medicines or being healthy with your diet or listening to your doctor. You can do all of it and optimize your health. And my goal is that if you optimize your health, maybe you won't need your doctors, you know, because, you know, you don't want to hang out with a bunch of white coats all the time. They're really not that entertaining for the most part. <laughs> Kathy says she's drinking one of your uh, smoothies right now. And then I saw another comment that somebody else was uh, was just commenting that it made, they feel their skin looks better from drinking your smoothies. And there's a question on cruciferous vegetables from Susan. What's the most mild tasting one to blend for somebody like her husband who hates greens and is a first time smoothie drinker? He's a hater. Uh, it's probably something like spinach. You know, yeah, that's what I thought. You don't taste spinach, really. Yeah, not much at all. And I have found a little scoop of avocado dulls down the green flavor a lot. You know, so if you do a little scoop of avocado, spinach, and then you put the fruit in, probably won't even notice. Put it in, a, in an opaque cup so he doesn't see it's green and start making psychological decisions, you know, <laughs> whether or not he likes it. Um, but yeah, spinach, I find is, it's pretty mild. And even though it's not cruciferous, it can hang out with cruciferous. It's pretty darn nourishing. And, you know, what I'm going to do too, because it's Lupus Awareness Month coming up um, on uh, in May 1st. I'm also going to put my classes that I have on reversing autoimmune disease. I'm going to put them up for free for people who want to go up and watch them. And I always do free Q and A's every Wednesday on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook um, for, for questions and answers, but I'll also have my classes too. So people want to spend hours learning the ins and outs of how I reverse my disease and what to do and what to eat and case studies and all that stuff. Um, I like to put that up for people whenever I can to, uh, to get that education going and to pressure people to watch it. You know, sometimes people have asked me, why is it not on all the time? So because people would put it off. I'll watch that soon. But if I go, you've got a week to watch it, all of a sudden I'll see a flood of people watch it. And then I'll also get a flood of messages of people getting better. So I do use psychology still to get people. <laughs> well, nice. Uh, Debbie, who's watching live, says that she had a drug-induced lupus from a beta blocker 22 years ago. Her cardiologist feels she has some form of an autoimmune disease now, even though symptoms are severe, lab says within normal limits. Can lupus or another form of an autoimmune disease happen later? And she is doing your protocol with the smoothies. Yes, absolutely. So there's kind of a, there's certain ages where you tend to see lupus happen more. Um, anytime hormones are involved. So puberty, that's where it got me. Um, childbirth and pregnancy, very high risk time and menopause. And it might be why nine out of 10 people with lupus are women uh, or, you know, or born, people who are born uh, female, let's say that way. So yeah, so it is, um, it is very, very common in women. I think hormones is probably the reason for that. So yes, we definitely see it where people will have it when they are, um, when they're later on in life. Uh, the fact that you had a drug induced lupus early on kind of gave you a little preview. It's kind of like when you see people who are pregnant, who get um, diabetes just during the pregnancy, right? They'll call it gestational diabetes. Uh, if you have gestational diabetes, you have a very, very high chance that sometime later, you're also going to then develop diabetes. So it gives you like a preview. So it showed you that your response to a medication that most people don't have any problems with actually caused a whole autoimmune response, a lupus response, which is scary. And so for a lot of people who have that, they will get a full return back to normal once they remove the offending drug. 
but it did give you kind of a preview that maybe your body tends towards autoimmune and it can come later. So I'm glad that you're on the program and, and taking care of yourself so we can get rid of it. But yep, it's very common. You see a big surge of people that are um, middle-aged that tend to have autoimmune issues like lupus. Mm. Uh, Lisa says, I feel like I've tried everything and I seem to be getting worse now that I've started menopause along with my autoimmune issues. Have you done Dr. Goldner's program? I'd ask you that and then we can talk to you some more. Susan says, why do you recommend 25% fruit in a smoothie and snack on raw veggies only versus eating raw fruit too? Just because I'm trying to optimize the intake of the foods that create um, the disease reversal. So when when you look at the aspects of, of goodbye lupus protocol, right, we're looking at um, so it's it, it involves something I call hypernourishment, and hypernourishment is an intentional overdose in the nutrients your body uses for cellular repair, metabolism, and immune health. And those nutrients are you know um, omega threes and uh, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, all these different kinds of phytonutrients. The omega-3s we take care of with flax and chia. The other phytonutrients, the largest dose you can get of those kind of phytonutrients are really in cruciferous vegetables. And like I said, spinach can hang, right? So the more we can get you to eat those cruciferous vegetables, the bigger your dose is going to be. If you're snacking on fruit, you're not getting that dosage. Okay. And we've actually tested it. And we found that when people raise up the fruit levels, that they don't get the same speed of results. And so I'm results-based and I've done, you know, uh, I've worked with so many people, I mean, over a thousand people just in rapid recovery, like I've worked, and those are people I work with every single day. So all the data that I have is how I make uh, the decision about what the protocol entails. And it's also why it's evolved over time. Um, you know, sometimes you'll see people where they've been teaching the same thing for 20 years and I don't teach it exactly the same after five because I'm constantly evolving and growing. So right now it is the most optimized it's ever been because of the intense experience I have working with people daily and seeing what works. I don't want outliers. I want everyone who does it to have that response. So what we found is only vegetables work. We do the vegetables, omegas, water, that works really well. That's how I did it all those years ago. And if we add a little bit of fruit, like to flavor the smoothie, that still works really well. But once we start shifting it more towards the fruit base, we don't get that fast reversal that I'm so known for. You know, I mean, that is like one of the reasons that people even know who I am. It never came from advertising. It was all word of mouth, you know, uh, first in my own community um, where people would, you know, my patients would tell their their friends or family. Um, and uh, or I, I was just talking recently about this, that there was a, a pharmacist that called me because his the patients that he saw coming in for years suddenly weren't needing their prescriptions anymore and they were looking so healthy. So he started asking them, what happened to you? I've been seeing you for 10 years and they all were seeing me. So he was, he called me to see if like his sister came from Canada, would I see her? You know, so it was all very, you know, local. And then when I started working, you know, when the internet kind of took off more, um, suddenly people started posting about it online and then it just grew out of nowhere. So I went from having like under a hundred followers on Facebook to 84,000, wherever I am, it was just all word of mouth of like how powerful and effective this is. So that speed of recovery that I get, it's very specific to the protocol. So I'm not saying that anything's bad about fruit. I'm not, I don't even saying the reason for it. I mean, you know, we, we, that's all theoretical really, but I can say results wise, what we found is if we use fruit for flavor and we focus on the highest dose of cruciferous possible, 
that has been working really, really well and, and consistently well without any outliers. Now you don't have to do it that way. If you want to just eat all the food, you can eat the fruit too. If you want a green smoothie with only greens and then you want a bowl of fruit, you could totally do that. I care about the amount of food for the rest of it, like the amount total. But what I found is that generally speaking, uh, people do best with getting the highest amounts when they keep the fruit to the smoothie and then they work on salads and things later. And again, this is during the healing phase. This is not forever. I mean, once you're healthy, eat as much fruit as you want. Um, I'm just doing an emergency protocol for people to try to get their cells to recover. And if you have, you know, the estimates are around 100 trillion cells and you're trying to deliver as much nutrition as possible, then every bite actually counts, right? So the smoothies have just been a way to deliver it more easily, but we're just trying to flood the body as quickly as possible with as much of a dose as we can. And that's, and that's how we came up with that, that way or those suggestions. Nice. That uh, Smashly is starting your protocol this week. And Jilly Dilly, what a cute name, says, I heard your story so many times, Dr. Goldner. And each time I hear it, I get teary and I'm profoundly amazed. And Brenda said, if you could please comment or elaborate on oxalates in vegetables, how much of these vegetables are safe to consume? Can they be eaten raw? And are what are the benefits to these foods uh, if, if they're eaten raw versus not eaten raw? All right. There's so many layers to it. So number one, oxalates has become a buzzword lately, but it's just, I really think it's, it's dramatically overstated. Um, yes, there are oxalates in these vegetables. Now, do they cause a problem for people? Usually no. I mean, think about it this way with the thousands of people who've done my program all over the world. If the oxalates were a problem, there would be just a kidney stone palooza right? Like you would just be like, yeah, say goodbye to lupus, but now I've got kidney stones. (laughs) That's a great book. Goodbye lupus. Hello, kidney stones. Oh gosh. Someone's going to take a a clip of that, right? You're like, oh no. (laughs) No. And it just hasn't happened. I think over the years, I can think of maybe like three people that have had issues with kidney stones, but they already had issues with kidney stones. It wasn't like I nourished myself and I got them. They had a predisposing condition. So in general, Um, Yes, it will raise how much oxalates you have. And no, it will not be harmful for you. Now, there are some people that should eat low oxalate foods, people with kidney failure, but those are also low histamine foods or not low histamine, I'm sorry, low potassium foods. So that ends up working out anyway. People who've had gastric bypass have higher risk of stones. So, you know, that's out there. The the one study I remember reading about somebody um, who got stones and they were blaming a raw diet and it was someone with gastric bypass who went on a juice cleanse and whatever, and they had stones, but it's not like, the vegetables, they, they bypass the normal absorption system of their body. There's side effects to that. But generally speaking, the, the biggest causes of kidney stones are high meat diets, uh, alcohol, and dehydration. So most folks who switch to my program, they actually, it relieves them. In fact, my husband had kidney stones before he met me and he was a bodybuilder and he was just eating huge amounts of meat all the time and he had kidney stones uh ever since he's been hypernourishing he can drink two blenders a day my husband you know uh, and he you know and so pounds of greens he has never had a kidney stone ever so even though he was predisposed to them it was his his previous diet that was causing it but eating all the fresh raw vegetables and everything 
stopped it completely. I've never known him to have a stone. So, you know, it's just one of those things where it's overstated and it's just not a real issue. Um, and I'm sure there's industries who really want people to be afraid of vegetables. But uh, yeah, I just, if there was a problem, it would be raining stones. So that's not really the issue. In terms of the raw versus cooked, again, those are results-based. So I would, I wish that cooked worked better because everybody prefers cooked vegetables. So I'm not just mean, like, no, eat them raw and you don't enjoy your cooked vegetables. Again, healthy person, have a nice combination of raw and cooked, but in terms of results and disease reversal, it's been the raw that's worked. And so for me, what's most important is what works. I need people to get well as quickly as possible. And again, as someone who was sick for so much of my life, as quickly as possible matters. I'm always in a rush for each person to get well. And so again, this is the most efficient and the fastest way to do it. If you don't want to rush into that, that's up to you. You want to work your way up. You want to try different things. Do it. And and for some people, um, they don't have to be adherent to the most strict version of doing this to get results. The strict version is just, here's what's going to work. This works, right? If you are a step down from it, maybe. So maybe it's okay if you're working at home and you have time and you're not an organ failure. But if you're coming to see me and, and you're going to do rapid recovery for six weeks, that means I've got 42 days to change your health. I'm not going to go the slow, slow route. We're going to go hardcore to try to get you as healthy as possible. And we're working on your nutrition. We're working on your uh, mental health, you know, your, your stress, your self-care, your sleep. We're doing everything we can to get people's entire lifestyle to be anti-inflammatory so that they can get results as quickly as possible. Yeah. Lisa, thanks you so much for doing your weekly Q&As. And that's on Wednesdays. And we posted that in the show notes if people want to tune in on that on all your social media channels. Mm -hmm. And she would like to know what you eat in a day. I know you answered this before, but we have new viewers today that aren't. Someone always wants to know what I'm eating now. <laughs> yeah. So most of the time um, I'm doing this while I work. So I've got my green smoothie. I've got my water. And just in case you're worrying that that's all my water, I also have, you know, my full gallon jug there. I just pour and sips in. Um, while I'm working, I tend to just nourish myself. Uh, it's just very convenient to drink a smoothie and feel nourished and energized and I'm hydrated, right? Um, when I catch a break, which nowadays is not too often, um, I will maybe have a piece of Ezekiel bread with some avocado, nutritional yeast, something like that. I'm a big avocado. I love avocados. <laughs> big avocado person. Um, and um, dinner time is usually a huge salad. What most people would consider uh, the bowl for the family is the bowl for me. Um, so we have, and my whole family eats like this. I mean, it, especially dinner time, right? So my kids have a green smoothie for breakfast and then they have like two or three Ezekiel sandwiches at lunch with like five, six pieces of fruit. They're, they pack a lot in their bags. Uh, and then dinner time, yeah, salad is the main course and it'll be a mix of things. I prefer cabbage because I like crunchy. I like crunchy salads, um, but all the different veggies. And then we'll usually throw in some like chickpeas or something on that. Um, and yeah, and then we usually have something cooked with it. So um, most of the time it's soup because the Instapot makes life easy. So you can kind of throw stuff in the Instapot, chop up a salad, and then you serve the salad and then the Instapot's ready and bam. So the Instapot usually has like broth, quinoa, tofu, potatoes, celery, carrots, 
nothing too fancy. I say I'm, I'm not a chef. I'm a doctor. You got You want fancy? You got you got Chef Adrian right here. But that, <laughs> I, don't, I don't do fancy, honestly. But thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you, I mean, yeah, we're we're simple that way. And then on the weekend, usually we will have a meal out, uh, one or two meals out, where it's not healthy. It's always plant-based or vegan. Um, but you know, if I eat at a restaurant, they're going to use some oil or something. And, and I don't mind that, or I might have a, a drink. It was my, my mother's birthday. Um, it was her birthday on Friday. So we spent the whole weekend celebrating her and I took her out to brunch and I had a glass of champagne. Right. So I, uh, and I, it doesn't affect my health anymore. This year in October will be 18 years. I've been lupus free, normal kidney function, no protein in the urine, no blood clots, um, my, my cholesterol is beautiful. My blood pressure is low. You know, my colonoscopy, apparently I have the colon of a teenager, right? Everything. So internally, externally, I'm super healthy. So I can have the occasional, what I call recreational eating. I call it that because it's like recreational drugs. It harms you, but you're getting high, right? So I can do that. And I can do that once or twice a week. I've never had a relapse or problem. If I did, I would immediately give that up, but I've gotten, you know, after this many years, uh, I know that my body is really, really healthy and can tolerate that. I don't recommend recreational eating for people who either are sick or who just recently recovered, you know, the first six months, just enjoy the fact that you're healthy and let the paint dry. Um, but that is one of the ways you prove you're healthy. Whenever people say that, you know, if I eat one bite of something with oil, I have arthritis. I'm like, you're not done healing yet. You're, you're, you're like in this midway spot where you're healthy enough to feel good as long as you don't mess with it, but we want to get you fully healthy. And that way, you know, that you can resist those things. So it's not for everyone. Some folks tell me they're food addicts. And if they, you know, ever went off plan, they'd be gone. For me, it's usually a reminder of how much I want my next salad. So, you know. Right. Well, speaking of salads, Lily would like to know what kind of dressing you use and how much flax seeds and chia seeds are we supposed to eat? Okay. So dressings that I usually use, um, most of the time now it's either avocado based, um, or it's nut based. So I like, um, I, I have a, a Caesar that I make with nuts for my family usually. Um, but if you're working on your recovery, you're going to use avocado instead just to keep your omega sixes lower, or I'll use a tahini dressing or something like that. Or sometimes we'll just throw some vinegar or something on it. Um, my kids actually don't even like dressing because they, they were raw their first year of life. So they actually think dressing dressing is gross. I wish that I felt that way. You know, it's like getting to be born and live without addictions. is just a beautiful thing. Um, but they just like really finely chopped fruit on top and they, and that's it. So you can also, you know, do something like that. Um, and again, so what I'm doing now is different than what I recommend for people who are sick. Uh, let me see. But what was the second question? Uh, how much flax and chia? You know, I just want to say with salad yesterday, there's this restaurant in Lincoln that it's called Salad Works and you can get compliant salads and you can get like, you know, they have quinoa or rice or you put anything you want on it. And so I just say no dressing and then I eat it at home and add whatever dressing I want. Well, we ended up being out longer than we thought. And I was really hungry and I ate the whole thing without dressing and it was good. Yeah. Yeah. It can be. If you just want to just relax, you know what I like for that? Chopped salads. Because if they're, if they're chopped and you can get a flavor of everything all together, or you just squeeze some lemon or something on it, it can be really good. Um, you get used to it and you start to actually appreciate flavors. Uh, flax and chia seeds, if you're healthy uh, and you just want to make sure you stay healthy, a handful is, is good. You know, you can put that right in your smoothie. For people who are doing aggressive disease reversal, I like to get them up to a half cup. Um, you just have to be a little careful. Some people's guts are so slow 
they can't handle it and you've got to work your way up a little bit. But those are usually the, the dosages to look at. Sometimes when I'm working with people, I might raise it for different kinds of reasons, but generally speaking, those are the dosages. Yeah. Well, I think because there was wet stuff on my salad, like fruit and tomato, it yeah. didn't, it, I didn't really miss it. People are asking like if with uh, lupus is, or any of these autoimmune diseases, are symptoms different for everyone? And does your protocol help with ankylosing spondylitis? Hope I said that right. All right. Ankylosing spondylitis. Yes. We've had great results in reversing that in our group where people completely reverse their symptoms and are feeling good. So yes, definitely. Um, and yes, so because as I mentioned before, lupus can show up in your different organs, it does look different. And I think that's one of the reasons it's difficult to diagnose one, because as I said, sometimes the markers don't become positive right away. And another is it often, they call it the great pretender. It'll look like different things. So you can get a rash, um, but the rashes are not always identical. There's even a type of lupus that's just cutaneous that, that it's only about 10% of the cases that's only in the skin, although they're at risk for it spreading. But most people with lupus will get some kind of rash, especially I had the butterfly rash. It's, it was just, it goes across the cheeks and over the nose. Um, and that's a, a signal for, for lupus, but it can also show up as fatigue at first. You know, most of the folks that I see with autoimmune diseases, when I really go backwards, I spend 75 minutes with people. I want to get to know their whole story and really understand their bodies. And for most people, it starts with fatigue. Like I just, start, I couldn't do all the things I was used to. And I'd go to the doctor and they'd say, get more sleep, whatever you're fine. Your tests are normal. So sometimes it's kind of vague, you know, you're tired, you're achy. Well, you're middle-aged, you know, maybe that's normal. So a lot of times people don't know, but yeah, it could be in the skin for one person. It could be hair loss. A lot of times uh, alopecia is one of the symptoms. Uh, of course it can be pain and it can be pain anywhere in the body. Uh, the arthritis is is disabling sometimes. I can, I can tell you that personally. Um, but it can also cause uh, lung failure. It can cause kidney failure. Um, and again, it's higher risk for things like heart attacks. So it really just devastates the entire body, which is also one of the reasons why even to this day now, like I'm about to hit 18 years lupus free. Sometimes it still shocks me how I could have been that sick and be normal. And even every group. So we have a group that's just finishing. Uh, they're in their last week. So they're all anxious. You know, uh, they're starting to sing, you know, how can I with, you know, we're like, no, you're going to be fine. You're going to keep going. Right. So, so we're finishing one. And then our next one starts uh, May 19th. We've got just a few spots in that one. Right. So like in that, we're all trying to like, we're constantly looking at these people who come in and they are barely alive. They can't get out of bed. They can barely move. And then we see them in our zoom meetings every week. And it's like, they're fresh, they're glowing, they're talking, they're moving. I mean, we had someone in our last meeting who had to, she had to show us that she can pick up a teacup again, that she couldn't do that. Even a scalding hot cup, she needed two hands like this. And now she can, it's just like the little things that you can do. And how can you do that in five weeks from a disease that's supposed to devastate your body, right? I mean, another woman, when she joined, she couldn't even, uh, she doesn't have lupus, but she couldn't even wash her own hair or shower. And now she can wash her hair. She can walk around. She's using her cane less. I mean, literally weeks going by and how dramatic it can change. So I, I do think it's important as much as it's, we need to acknowledge what a scary and devastating illness this is. Also acknowledge that there's so much we can do. And, you know, I, every once in a while, someone will get mad that I say that. Um, and uh, I've been, I've been accused uh, just very rarely of something called victim blaming that somehow me saying that you can do more to get better, that you can 
feel better, if you eat better, if you sleep, if we, if, if you work on your traumas, all these things that, that your lupus can be better every once in a while. Um, somebody will say that, you know, BS, like you're victim blaming. And it's like, no, <laughs> I'm really not because having gone through it myself, um, I think of it as it's empowering. It's inspiring to know that you're not just a victim, you know, because when I was diagnosed, there wasn't hope in that way. It's like, you will be disabled. That's what I was told. You will be disabled. Your kidneys will fail. You will not have children. You will not live as long a life as other people. Like that was like the definite that I got. And for me to be able to say now, 30 years later, you can get better. You can leave for your dreams. You can get rid of that pain. You can get healthier. You do have a, a, a possibility of, of getting your kidneys back. I helped someone get off the lung transplant list. Like you can, like, I'm never blaming people for the illness they have. I'm letting you know that there's hope and that you have power to do something to take back your health. And to me, that is the most powerful thing that I can ever communicate. And I hope it always comes across as a message of empowerment and hope. That's great. Thank you. Here is a question from Karen about interstitial cystitis and Hunter's lesions. Can you help with that? What can you tell me about treatment, resources, alternatives to surgery? And how did you get over or reverse your interstitial cystitis? Did you have that? Are you talking about Hunter's lesions? Yeah. H-U-N-N-E-R-S. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I actually had interstitial cystitis. And so for those of you who don't know what that is, it actually is a, um, it's an illness where you've got chronic inflammation in your bladder that makes you feel like you have the worst UTI all the time. It is so excruciating. I mean, at least when I had arthritis, I could take COX-2 inhibitors, steroids and stuff, and it made the arthritis manageable, but the cystitis, nothing made it manageable. It was just the constant burning urgency stuff. It is the worst. Um, it's interesting because when I had it initially, it went away when all of my other symptoms of the lupus went away. And um, before that, I was really in trouble because I had gone to doctors for it. I was sent to a urologist. They put the camera up your urethra, which is painful when you've got an inflamed urethra. Oh my gosh, it was so excruciating. And so they were putting steroids up my urethra into my bladder because I was just so inflamed. It was torture. And then one day I got a rash. And my doctor called me and said, well, if you're allergic to the steroids, there's nothing more we can do. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, there's nothing else for me to offer. And she fired me while I was still in pain and gave me no alternatives. I cried. I was literally, I was in my, at the hospital, you know, I cried. I was like, what, what you're just going to fire me and not help me. I'm just going to live in pain. It was the worst feeling. I would never do that to someone. Um, but um, what happened was when I changed my diet and I got healthy, it just went away. And so then I stopped thinking about it. Now, when I first got healthy, um, I didn't know it was from my diet, right? I mean, I was now a doctor. <laughs> I'd never been taught there was anything to do with my diet. So I didn't think there was a dietary part of it. Um, and, you know, because nobody could say, oh, it must be the diet, right? So actually, after I was in remission, here and there, I would eat something that I used to eat because I didn't know it was, I thought it was just for weight, you know? So sometimes I would have a little dairy or something, a little egg, but not most of the time because I wanted to maintain my results. But what I found is that uh, this cystitis came back and the only thing I had eaten that I hadn't been eating before is I started eating eggs again. And my husband was actually like, you know what? 
you know, the diet, like when you change your diet, your symptoms got better. I wonder if like adding the eggs back was the reason. And I went, that's weird. Maybe, I, I don't know. I don't see anything in my medical books about this. Stop the eggs. Sure enough, it went away immediately. A month uh, after a month of no symptoms, ate them again, burning back immediately. And I was like, huh, maybe there's something more going on here. So we didn't actually study how nutrition works for the immune system and health until years later. Um, especially after I had my first son and didn't relapse. So in the, in the, in the early times, I was mostly just responding to symptoms. Like, okay, I seem to feel better not eating any of these animal products, but you know, didn't know the reason. So that said, uh, definitely now I've looked more at research and they found that high protein diets cause more cystitis. Uh, if you're watching chef AJ, there's a good chance that you're already plant-based in which case there might be other things you can do. One, making sure like my protocol optimizes immune health and anti-inflammatory immunity. So make sure you're getting enough omega-3s. Sometimes with water, that can be tough because stretching an inflamed bladder can be stressful. So sometimes people really have to space the water out, stick to the minimum water, maybe like 96 ounces, but have like one glass every 90 minutes or so, so that you don't ever just drink a ton and, and feel like you're stretching out that bladder that's trying to heal. Um, sometimes I have to work with people a bit on, on that. Um, but it is a painful symptom. I've definitely seen it get better, but like I said, initially, sometimes people have more pain just because now they're full of water and their bladder is even more urgent and upset. So can take a bit of maneuvering. There was one woman I worked with on this that after working with her, I realized I said, I don't think this is inflammatory because your diet is just not inflammatory anymore. And, uh, and I was like, I think there could be an injury causing this. And I started working with, I'm like, tell me about any kind of injury you've ever had that could have affected your pelvis. And she was like, well, I broke my pelvis in a car accident when I was a kid. It's like, so I actually found out, you know, that there was actually, so we figured out that there was injury to her nerves that got irritated by another fall she had had not that long ago. And that was actually what was causing it. And it was neuropathic. And so um, we ended up going down a whole nother path, looking at, at uh, medicines to help with neuropathies in addition to her diet. So what I'm saying is sometimes it's more complicated, but for most folks, I find really optimizing anti-inflammatory nutrition, water spacing, things like that seem to help. So I don't know if I just confused you more or helped you more. <laughs> well, thank, thank, you. <laughs> thank you for answering. Kathy wants to know if you ever work with someone with dysautonomia and would your protocol help with that? Yes, actually we have. We've had people do our group for that. Yep. Dysautonomia as well. It's interesting. Um, you know, when I first started teaching this, it was like, we know it works for lupus. And then we're like, oh, we know it works for RA. Oh, we know it works for scleroderma, for, for Sjogren's, right? But then all these other people just were like, well, could I try it for this? What about this? And, and it's just been helping people with all different kinds of issues um, and uh, across the board. And that's when we, you know, so it makes sense because again, cellular function. So there's no downside. If you have something that's maybe we haven't talked about, you can still do it, right? The only people I warn not to just go uh, overboard on nutrition are people who have diseases that limit their ability to have too much nutrition, right? Like if you're in heart failure and you drink too much water, you can overload your heart, not because water's unhealthy, but because your heart can no longer handle it. If you're in kidney failure, then we're gonna need to adjust your nutrition so you don't overdose on potassium or, or you know, sink your sodium levels. So there are definitely people who need to work with me to make sure I can oversee it and you are doing it in the best way possible. But for most folks, you could just expect a yes answer from me in terms of like, should I try it? Nice. Here's another disease somebody is asking about if your protocol will help. Joanna says, have you had any success with wet macular degeneration, either an improvement or a reversal? 
I have not had someone do this for what macular degeneration. We have results for uh, glaucoma, um, which resolves quickly in people in our group, usually about five weeks, glaucoma has gone away. Um, we've had um, scleritis, uveitis. Uh, right now, someone in my group just said goodbye to blepharitis and her, her eyelid inflamed. Um, I, I do not have anyone in my mind. And if you've done it for this, then please uh, speak up because I'll only say yes if I have a case in my head where I can go, oh yes, it was her. So right now I don't have a case in my head for what macular degeneration, but I have enough cases for eye diseases to know that the nutrition travels there and that it helps even people with Sjogren's um, as well. So uh, it's definitely a good thing in terms of getting nourishment to your eyes for repair, but I don't have a case for you to say yes, absolutely. Nice. Uh, Brandy, who's doing your protocol, says she would, she's doing the hypernourishing protocol, but wants to add peanut butter to her sauces. Would you recommend the defatted peanut powder without any added salt or sugar because it would have less omega-6? Or would you recommend natural peanut butter because it's less processed? She does use flax seeds as well as algae oil. Well, I would... My answer would depend on your goals. So if you are healthy and you just added hypernourishment, then use regular peanut butter that's not processed. You know, just have the 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 kind that's just peanuts, you know, maybe salt, not like, you know, Skippy and Jif and stuff where they add sugar and, you know, oils to it. Um, but if you're trying to reverse a disease, I would take it out for now. Stick with things like avocados and flax and chia, things like that for fats. And then when you're healthy, reintroduce it. So just depends on what your goal is. A lot of people are just adding hypernourishment, in which case that's fine, but I consider the, the, the powders to be processed. So I avoid those. Yeah. Great. And uh, Valerie says she heard you recommend eight cups of packed raw greens daily and would like to know what that is in terms of weight. You're watching old videos. See, I've evolved over time because you know what happened was originally I was showing people just pack the blender and nobody packed it like me. Like I put my foot in that blender. I get it packed. So people will say, I'm having eight cups. And I'm like, I can see the shape of the leaves. You are not packing that blender, right? So uh, so we did weigh it out. And so for hypernourishment, it would be about 16 ounces or 454 grams. Nice. That's about, yeah, that's about a pound, right? Yeah. Yep. If wow. you eat a pound of that a day, in addition to other plant-based foods, you are a one nourished person. Yes. Wow. That's great. I, I, I see. I don't mind. Um, I like eating more than drinking. So I, 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 I I estimate I get two pounds of greens a day. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That'll like, give I like you a full to, year tan. Yeah. Yes. I like to eat them. And, and I, I probably eat more of them cooked because it's easier to get more in, but I, I like, I just, I love masticating, you know, <laughs> I just, as long as you do it when you're alone, not in yes. public. So, uh, <laughs> you're funny. Mastication is fine. It's healthy. Um, sometimes people really, there, there's been these weird debates about it. Like, oh, you need to chew. I've even heard people say to chew smoothies. I'm like, that makes no sense. You don't need to do that. They work. And how do we know they work? Diseases go away. So mm -hmm. if you prefer drinking them, most people do. Like for me, I couldn't chew and do this work. It would be very weird. And I'd have stuff in my teeth, right? So for most of us, the drinking just solves many problems. People who don't like greens or people who are busy. Um, but in terms of benefits, you know, chewing is fine. Although a recent study showed that people actually had higher nutrient uh, absorption with smoothies versus chewing, because it's already pre-blended. Your intestines yeah. can just absorb, right? Less chewing to do. Um, but yeah, it totally doesn't matter. I mean, I originally healed using chewing and it worked. Nice. So. <laughs>
I masticated my way to health, but I could have bitten a car door off a car with how much broccoli I was eating. You know, I, I like that. Muscle. Masticate, masticate your way to health. You're coming up with great titles and people are asking when your cookbook is coming out. Okay, we're getting close now. It's actually with the designer now. We are just finishing editing. So my hope is, I don't want to like burn myself, but my hope is within the next couple months, that's our goal. Um, it's looking really, really good. Uh, we're just doing all the final touches on it. Um, so yeah, it's it's good. I promise I will announce it, but that is, what is it? It's April? Yeah, so by the summer, I'm, I'm saying it. It's, it's going to be out by the summer and hopefully early on. We're, we're really trying. I'm, I'm pushing it. It's just... Uh, yeah, we've talked about that before, right, Chef? It's like people are wondering because they want your avocado dressing recipe. No, <laughs> that's what they're saying. Uh, BJ says if you work with someone with hemi or hemifacial spasms with positive results. Well, it depends on what the causes of this. So, not, I mean, if hemifacial spasms with no background and cause, not, nothing's coming to mind. Um, but I've definitely helped people with lots of different kinds of neuralgias, nerve conditions you know, from MS to CIDP to other issues. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know how to answer because I don't know the cause of it, but if you're saying it's idiopathic, meaning nobody knows what's wrong and just that, no, I have not worked with someone with that issue. What about eczema? Yes. All the time. Yeah. I mean, your skin health is a reflection of your health. Um, and that's one of the things that you'll see. Um, it's funny. I, I, when I went on the home and family show once, um, Sophie, who was who at the time, Sophia was doing the, uh, like the health segments and she came over to me afterwards. She goes, I just want to tell you, you were the first person to come on to talk about health that I believe is healthy because usually they come on. And when you get up close to them, you're kind of like, I don't know, they got pimples. They don't look that healthy. I didn't even wear any, like, I don't wear foundation or anything. I went on that show with just my eye makeup and a lip gloss, you know? And she's like, when you get close to you, She's like, you're glowing, your skin glows. And that's how I knew you were healthy. So um, if you still have eczema, that is a sign of inflammation. So I actually think of it as a check engine light. If your skin is really one of the only organs you can see, it's helpful when a check engine light is visible, right? I didn't know my kidneys were failing, but that rash got me to the hospital, right? So, you know, it's just something that you can continue working on to say, all right, when I get that point where people go, what are you doing? You're glowing, you'll know. <laughs> One, that you've got enough beta carotene to get that tan, but two, that your skin is healthy shows that your in insides will be healthy too. Nice. Liz wanted to know if you could share two simple salad dressing recipes. Simple salad dressing recipes. All right. Two go-to ones. One is literally store-bought or restaurant-bought guacamole. Like I will oftentimes, it's worth the money for me to get that big, like fresh made today guacamole in the supermarket fresh area. Cause I can just scoop that right onto any salad or anything I want to eat. Um, you know, the avocados at home, it depends on the day. Is it ready today? Is it, you know, tomorrow? When's it going to be ready? Right. Um, but you know, I will often do that. That is super easy. And any restaurant usually has it. Um, you do have to ask the restaurant, make sure they didn't put cream in it. But most of the time a restaurant can make you guacamole and it turns into something delicious. Even at a Mexican restaurant, um, or most restaurants, they'll have guacamole and salsa. Mm -hmm. You put guacamole and salsa on, on a salad, you're going to have a great time, right? So um, so that's something easy you can do. And the other one, the one that I make usually, uh, so it would be um, the one that you can use for recovery, um, avocado, nutritional yeast, mustard. I usually put Bragg's aminos in there, or you can use salt or soy sauce instead. Um, and some garlic and water and blend it up. And I know it sounds weird, but it's like a Caesar kind of creamy dressing. And um, we have that, you know, I know I have that recipe out and about. 
in our Smoothie Shred Facebook group, we have a section in the guides that has all sorts of things. And we have that, that recipe there. Um, but you know, it's pretty easy. I find to me, I like creamy dressing. So I'm always going to start with an avocado or nuts or, or seeds. And then I'm going to add, you know, garlic. Cause I don't go a day without it. And then it's like, all right, garlic, lemon, mustard, whatever, you know? So it, it, I, I don't think I ever make things exactly the same every time, but those are two are pretty good. And when you make a dressing at home, you can make enough for the week and you're usually fine. So you make it once pour it into containers and now you have it for the week. You can even take it with you, but by far the most universally available and easy would be like guacamole and salsa. Yeah. yeah I love that. Yeah. Marie says, is there a link between triglycerides? She says she has borderline triglycerides, maybe borderline high and a whole food plant-based, no oil sugar diet. And if there's a link between omega-3 and triglycerides and would ramping up the chia seeds help? It actually does help. Yeah, eating the right fats actually reverses these kind of problems. So, for example, um, on my in my rapid recovery programs, I have people having a half cup or more a day of flax or chia, or three tablespoons or more of flaxseed oil, right? Which is the condensed omega threes from the flax seeds, which is the only oil I recommend for people's health. Um, so they're eating that every day and unlimited avocados. And what usually happens is even really really high cholesterol drops to normal within four weeks. So if those fats were causing a problem, we'd have the opposite, right? We'd have, well, everything's getting healthy, but boy, those triglycerides are going up. And there have been studies since then that have shown that for recovery from heart attacks, omega-3s help with recovery from heart attacks. Uh, Avocados, people eating avocados uh, have their cholesterol drop twice as fast almost as people who just eat no fat at all on a plant-based diet. So there have been studies that have shown this uh, for people who want to see like the technical studies versus like my case reviews. But um, but yeah, so they, there's definitely a great benefit of adding those. I know for my, myself, I was diagnosed high cholesterol uh, in my early 20s. And my doctor said, when I said, what can I do? He said, I don't know, blame your parents. It's not from your diet. And meanwhile, I was eating cheese and eggs every day. Um, and within three months of uh, eating my, my plant-based diet with only things like avocados and the omega-3s, my cholesterol was like 158. So Obviously, it wasn't just genetics. The cheese had something to do with it, you know. Yeah. Uh, Megan, who's watching live, wants to know if your plan can help with post-concussion syndrome. She developed epilepsy nine years ago after three concussions in six months. How do you do that? Are you like a football player? Yeah. Uh, I mean, three, I, I, I've had a concussion. I'm not making fun of that, but that's a lot of concussions. That's a lot of concussions. A short um, time. A seizure, seizure-free on meds, but I don't want to stay on Keppra my whole life. MRI is normal. Yeah. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah. MRI is normal. Well, yeah, actually I have a client recently who I'm going to see right after this uh, session. So she's probably watching. She often does um, where she was seeing me for autoimmune issues, kidney issues, but then got in a car accident, had a concussion. So she just did my group for that. And after her concussion, she was getting daily migraines, Um, but she used a very combined approach, like physical therapy, medication, and um, rapid recovery and her daily migraines uh, stopped. She still has some underlying headache issues, but she can function now. Um, So, you know, when it comes to recovery and repair, it really is something that's important. I've helped people. uh, I helped one guy who, who recovered from an acute stroke, meaning he had a stroke three days into meeting me. And his doctor said within two weeks, he looked like he'd been healing six months. He'd never seen anyone heal that quickly. Um, So we know that the nervous system definitely benefits from it. I've seen all sorts of neuropathies, post-chemo neuropathies, other types that heal. Someone else with neuropathy in my group just healed. So 
we know that the nervous system is receiving the nutrition and responding that the brain as well, um, whether or not this issue you have now is already old and scarred over and really not going to be benefited by nutrition or whether there's still some inflammation, um, that will benefit that I won't know until you try, you know, it's like people with MS. I have someone with MS in my group right now. She just got a repeat MRI in week five. And she had a bunch of old lesions that have shrunk in size and no new lesions. I mean, and this is five weeks, right? So we know the brain benefits, but again, I don't expect her really old lesions to go away. I expect the ones that have been there for years to be there because they've already scarred. So maybe is the best I can give you. And there's no downside and there's possibility for benefit. Okay. She's saying soccer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So nice. And Stacy says, you're amazing. You make me feel like we can heal yourself. Okay. One more question. Cause Dr. Okay. Goldner has to see a patient, but Ann just said, are there suggestions for trigeminal neuralgia? Same thing. We're talking about the nerves, right? So um, I don't know what caused the issue, right? So sometimes there's so many different issues. There can be autoimmune, there can be viral. There's so many different reasons why this can happen. Um, so I wouldn't change my recommendation. I would say, especially if you've got an issue that's causing you severe problems, go all out, like do the goodbye lupus protocol. And, and, and like I said, in our smoothie shred group on Facebook, which I know not everyone's on Facebook, but if you are, we actually do have a guide section there where we list out like, here's how you can, this is hypernourishment versus goodbye lupus, goodbye autoimmune disease when we incorporate the mental health part, right? So for those of you who are like, how do I keep all this straight? It's if you join the Facebook group, it's a lot easier to kind of see here's the most up-to-date version of what we're uh, doing. Um, but I would go all out on at least the goodbye lupus protocol to say, okay, let me only eat the foods for recovery and see if we can stimulate repair. It's just so hard to know. Like I said, there could be mechanical reasons, so many, but the power you always have is the power to one, work on your nutrition, to work on your self-care, your sleep, like just take control of everything you can and then see how much improvement you can make. What will happen is even if that one symptom that you wish would go away the most can't get better, you're going to have recovery and health restored in so many areas that you never even expected. So there's never a downside. Fantastic. Well, hey, what do they got to lose? Give it a try. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's always fun talking to you, Dr. Goldner. Oh, thank you. It's always great to see you too. And your fans are always so fun and so yeah. involved. So I appreciate all of you guys who come to see me once a month here. And uh, yeah, just be aware. Like I said, lupus is coming. It's not just a reason to wear purple, but it's a reason to share what we know. Uh, let people know in your community about what we're doing. Um, you know, like I said, I have so many free resources to help people. My goal is that at some point, the Lupus Awareness Month won't be necessary anymore because people are going to be aware of what they can do to take care of themselves. And it's just not going to be something so devastating like it continues to be. So well, they, sure, letting me they, talk sure about a, they sure picked a great color because that's everything I have is purple. Uh, today I'm not wearing it, but you couldn't have picked a better color. So yay! <laughs> I thought it was for us. We're just going to say it's for us. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, and thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow, a bit earlier at 9 a.m. When Eileen Kapsoftis, our plant-based physical therapist, is going to be talking about three unknown reasons for plantar fasciitis. So get all your foot questions in. And at 4 p.m., Dr. Colin Campbell, my guest on my 1500th episode. Isn't that amazing? 1500 shows. That's a lot, oh, isn't it? That's a lot for sure. That's a lot. <laughs> Thanks so much for being part of this. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay,